0: Good morning, everybody. What a delight it is to be gathered together in the Lord's house again. Very, very warm welcome to all of you. Special welcome to any visitors here this morning. And of course, a very, very special, I wasn't here last week, but apparently Chris Stott's in the building. So welcome, Chris. It's great to have you home. For those of you who don't know Chris because you're relatively new, Chris and his family are longtime members here, and Chris and his wife, Jane, have been overseas looking after elderly parents. And they're back for a couple of months, so enjoy some fellowship with Chris. And Jane will be coming a little bit later on, so we can enjoy catching up with them and encouraging them before they continue back home or away. Gets a bit confusing at this point, doesn't it? So, But do keep them in your prayers. However, we have gathered this morning in the house of the Lord in order to worship our God and King. And so I'd like to invite you to stand with me, please, as we come into God's presence as he himself addresses us with the words of Psalm 96 and calls us to come to him and bow down before him. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And the people of God said, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love and kindness, your grace, your mercy, which you bestow upon us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We recognize, Lord, that there is nothing in us Nothing that makes us worthy to approach. And yet we have all that we need, for Christ is sufficient. And so we do ascribe to you all praise, all honor, all glory, all strength, all power. And we do pray that this morning, Lord, as we set our face towards you as your people, that you would accept our offering of worship and praise. And that you would be pleased to smile upon us and establish joy in our hearts, that we as a people might delight in you together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, let us do that together. Come, let us worship God with the words of ascribe greatness to our God, the rock, and then I'll ask you to remain standing and we'll confess our faith together. Supper today, we have the joy of celebrating and breaking bread and wine and remembering and communing with God, celebrating what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And so it's right and fitting, as this is a feast that is for believers, for us to acknowledge what we believe together. If you're not a believer, if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you don't need to say these words, but I would encourage you to consider where it is that your hope is found. But as for us, the people of God, we acknowledge together. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. With the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son created all things, sustains all things, and makes all things new. Truly God, He became truly man. Two natures in one person. He was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us. Crucified, dead, and buried, he rose on the third day, ascended to heaven, and will come again in glory and judgment. For us, he kept the law, atoned for sin, and satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robe. He is our prophet, priest, and king, building his church, interceding for us, and reigning over all things. Jesus Christ is Lord. We praise his holy name forever. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to turn through to God's word together this morning, through to Psalm 99, and Brother Gerald will read that for us.
1: Good morning, we have the privilege of reading the Bible this morning and we're reading from Psalm 99 and if you have the church Bible it's on page 468, Psalm 99, the description is the Lord our God is holy. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord, and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord our God, you have answered them. You were a a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord, our God, is holy. May the Lord bless the reading of this word. Amen.
0: Thanks, brother. Well, we have just been told by God in his word to exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. And so we're going to do that together with the words of Psalm 150. What I've done is taken Psalm 150 and whacked a chorus on it and put it to a tune that's very familiar to all of you, I'm sure. So let's stand and use the words of Psalm 150 to worship God. Let's stand and sing. We recognize his glory and splendor, but we also acknowledge his nearness, don't we? That we're able to draw near to him as a father and lay out our burdens upon him and bring our needs to him. So let us do that now in a time of congregational prayer. Let's pray. Do we have any children this morning that would like to come to the front? Well, children, uh, right, put your hand up if you think your mum does a great job. Correct, you should all be putting your hands up at this point, uh, otherwise I'm going to get in trouble. So put your hands up really quick for me. Yeah, that's right. Uh, most of you. Okay, all of you, really. Yeah. And I could probably, like, okay, congregation, please put your hand up if you think your mum did a great job or does a great job. Yep. Okay, look at all those hands firing up. Beautiful. Now, does that mean your mum never needs any help? Do you think your mum needs help sometimes? Yeah, that's right. Do you think your mum, this might be really dangerous to ask, but do you think that your mum could maybe sometimes just once do a better job? I'm getting some very subtle nods at the front here, very hesitant. But yes, we could all acknowledge that, couldn't we? And if we asked our mums, I think all of our mums would say, yeah, I could do a better job. I did my best, or I'm doing my best, but I know I could do a better job. Well, do you know God would agree? God would agree that all of us could do a better job. And the wonderful thing is, God, in his holy word, helps us with that. And so we're going to be looking at a passage, not just for mums, it's actually for older ladies, but it's for how the older ladies are to help the younger ladies do a good job at being a young lady. And the wonderful thing is that God doesn't just tell us we have to do things, but he comes alongside us, us with the word and he teaches us so that we can be better. And he doesn't just teach us, but he puts us into a family. Into a community, it's a little bit like the first time you learned to tie your shoes. You didn't just pick up a pair of shoes and go, I know how to tie my shoes. And do them, did you? No, someone came alongside and they were like, you take the string and you loop it around and you make some bunny ears and you wrap it around and you've done a shoe. And then you tried and it had like 15 knots in it and you're like, no, I can't get my shoe off. But eventually you learned how because someone came alongside you and said, let me show you the way. And that's what We're going to be looking at today and how we can come alongside other people and teach them and train them and encourage them so that that way they can walk in godliness. They can walk like Jesus. So let's pray and ask God to help us do that. Father in heaven, we thank you that you do teach us uh, in your word and also through others. And we pray that, Lord, as we dig into your word, that you would help each and every one of us to walk in faithfulness each and every one of us to teach and instruct and encourage others. We pray, Lord, that you would help us with these children to train them in the way they should go, not just mums and dads, but every single one of us, that we might fulfill all of those vows that we've taken towards children, that we would set them an example in love, that we would pray for them, and that we would show them Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to stand and sing. Behold what manner of love the Father. Just for the congregation's sake, the second verse breaks into parts, but it's not labelled on the screen. Feel free to go into whatever part you want. I'm sure you'll work it out. If not, too bad. Let's stand and sing together. (laughs) take this opportunity to dedicate the offering to the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you provide for us in so many different ways. And Lord, as we bring our offerings and gifts to you, both in person here this morning and online as well, we ask that you would take it from our hands and that you would use it for your purposes that you would use it to care for orphans and widows and sojourners, that you would use it to build up the kingdom of God and care for the needs of the church, that ministers and missionaries alike would be supported. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to give with a cheerful heart and that we might look to you to be our provider and that we might trust you in all that we do. We pray that wherever this money goes, Lord, you would glorify yourself. You would extend your name and your banner of love over the nations. And that through the simplest of coins from an old widow, you would draw sinners to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to be turning through to Titus this morning. Titus chapter 2. For those who are visitors here this morning, we've been working our way through the book of Titus. You know, there are several ways to walk through a book of the Bible. You can, it's a little bit like a forest, you can skip through a forest and notice the odd tree here and there. Or you can walk very slowly and observe the trees and the birds and the squirrels and the acorns and everything else in between. And we're doing one of those walks through this forest of Titus. We find ourselves in chapter 2. We've been looking at the various different uh, people that Paul tells Titus to teach. We have considered the older men and the older women. We've considered the younger men and we find ourselves now thinking about the younger women or what the older women are to teach the younger women. In order to put it in its context, we'll read the whole chapter, and then we're going to be looking primarily at just verse 4 and 5 of the chapter. So picking up at Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded. Dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. For the grace of God has appeared, Bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself. A people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word to us. And before we consider it, let's come together in a time of prayer. Father in heaven, as we come to your word this morning, we do so because we want to hear from you. Lord, we go out into another week and and we spend six days uh, with the voice of this world shouting at us from every direction. In our pockets, on our computers, our billboards, work colleagues, Lord, so many different messages bombarding us. And so we pray this morning that as we sit under the preaching of your holy word, that you would silence all of those voices and we would hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you give us ears to hear the shepherd? the chief shepherd, the cornerstone, he who is building the church, that, Father, we might be built up in love. Help us to behold wondrous things in your law. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you want to know the the purpose for something or how it works, the best thing you can do is ask the designer, right? You know, you you pick up some random item in a shop one day, you stumble across one and you think to yourself, what on earth is this thing for? What on earth do I even do with this? Someone gives you a present at Christmas and you open it up and you know you're meant to pull that I'm really happy face, but you don't really know what it is and you're like, there's normally a number on the box. You call up the designer, don't you? You say, My mum gave me this thing and I don't know what it is. Can you tell me what it does? What do I do with it? You know, isn't it wonderful that God doesn't leave us in the dark? You know, God is the creator, He He builds things, He designs things perfectly. And then he sets his creation in order, and he doesn't just sort of go now go for it and figure it out as you go along. But he says to us, this is my will for you. This is what is for your good. And really, that's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks as we've been considering godliness. Last Sunday evening, we talked about young men having self-control guarding themselves against the sin of adultery. And and that's just for our good, isn't it? There's no one that truly believes that it's good for them to have as many different partners as humanly possible. They may do it, but no one would argue that that is for your best interest. In today's passage, we're considering young women. And what Paul's effectively doing is just saying, this is what is for their good. He's speaking to the older women, as we remember. He's addressing the older women, and he's telling them that they are to teach and to train or to urge or to exhort or to encourage. It's quite a broad word that gets used there. You'll notice the ESV in verse 4 uses train. Train feels a little bit artificial, a little bit clunky maybe depending on the way you understand the word. But it's really, it's the idea of mentoring, one might say, or discipling. It's older women coming alongside younger women and helping them figure out how to be a godly woman, how to honor the Lord in the various different aspects of their life. And it's good for us to remind ourselves, as we have with every one of these sermons in chapter two, that they're part of this the sandwich that I've called it a couple of times of verse 1 and verse 11. So in verse 1, Titus is told to teach what accords with sound doctrine. And I explained that when he says teach what accords, he's saying teach what flows out of sound doctrine. And then in verse 11, the other piece of bread of the sandwich, we find out that the grace of God has appeared so that we might say no to ungodliness and yes to godliness, And so everything that's in between that is Paul telling Titus, this is what godliness looks like. This is what that which accords with sound doctrine looks like. Now, there's an important note on that, firstly for our older woman, and that is, it sort of goes without saying that in order to train and teach and mentor in these things, we need to be doing them, Right? So even though we're primarily thinking about young women, of course this applies to you as an older woman because you need to be doing these things and knowing these things in order to train people in these things. And for our men here today, don't think, well, I can check out because I've already listened to the old man and the young, young man one, so I can check out for the day and have a good snooze. No, because you need to know what to encourage your wife in or your sister in. You need to know how to train up your daughters. You need to know what to pray for. And if you're unmarried, you need to know what to look for, right? And so this is applicable to all of us, regardless of who we are, regardless of what state we are. But of course, it is particularly relevant for our young ladies, isn't it? Now, if you're wondering, as I've said before, if you're wondering what a young lady is, biblically speaking, it's under the age of 40. So you might be thinking, stoked, I'm a young person now. Which is great, you get to be a young person, at least in the Bible times. However, you will notice one thing before we get stuck into it. And that is how family-oriented the passage is, right? I mean, just have a look through the list. Verse 4 train the young women to love their husbands and children. Verse 5, to be working at home, submissive to their husbands. It's very family type language, isn't it? And you might be thinking to yourself this morning, why is it that when Paul gets to older women, he doesn't really speak about family, but when he gets to young women, he pretty much only thinks about the family. there's, There's a couple of reasons for that. One is that the norm, biblically speaking, the norm is that people get married and have children. I'm not saying everyone, but the norm expectation is that people get married and have children. It's part of regular life, right? That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that it is a gift for a person to not do it. It's not bad. One is not superior or inferior, it's just one is the norm, and it takes a giftedness to be able to not be married. The other reason is that one of the issues in Titus was actually primarily related to the family. That's why in verse 11 we read of chapter 1, they being the false teachers they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they not ought not to teach you see one of the problems was that the false teachers were teaching things which were directly against the biblical concept of a family god's view of the family we don't know what those were we don't know what they were teaching But that doesn't really surprise us, does it? Because, I mean, that's the world we live in, right? It's so similar to our times, right? I mean, how far do you have to look to find someone that is teaching or encouraging or having a movie about or a conversation about the fact that marriage isn't important or that marriage is great when it's between two men? Or that children having a solo parent is great. Or any number of things that tear apart at the very fabric of an ordinary family life. What God had intended for men and women in the world. So this is a very important thing for us to consider. The family and the young woman's role in that. And so I want us to just sort of briefly march through five different points that come out of this text five different things that come out of this text. Five different things or four different things that women are to, older women are to train the younger women in and one reason why. Okay, so four things to do, for lack of a better way of saying it, and one reason why. So, number one, the first thing that older women are to train the younger women in is in loving their own. In loving their own. Paul says... In verse 4, train the young women to love, and it does say to love their own husbands, and to love their own children. Now, some of you might be sitting here thinking to yourself, oh, I mean, do you really need to train a young woman to love her husband? I mean, we've got some young married couples here. Do they need any encouragement? You know, you see them and they, they do their lovey-dovey thing and they hang all over each other. And, and you think, I mean, we probably need to discourage them a bit. Um, and what about children? Doesn't every mother just love her children? Well, what's, why, why is it that Paul, straight off the bat, begins with, train them to love their husbands and their children? Well, for one reason, many of us are tempted not to. It's not that we're sort of just naturally tempted not to, but more that there's a lot of reasons to cause us to not to. You know, it's been a long day. And I'm exhausted. And I've changed 38 nappies. And I've cooked umpteen meals. And I'm exhausted. And my husband walks through the door and doesn't notice I've done anything. And he's ungrateful. And he doesn't help me with getting dinner on the table. And all he wants to do is read the newspaper. I don't feel like loving my husband very much right now. And even our children, right? Our children can be hard. And they can be draining. And sometimes we get over it, don't we? And sometimes we're tempted to not love them. Now what's interesting here is that the word for love is not like we think of, often think of the agape word that we all love to talk about, you know, that really self-sacrificial love. It's actually a word more like affections, fondness. They are, we are to train them, older ladies, we are to train them, to have warm affections for their husband and for their children. And one of the reasons why is that Paul is directing the young women to give themselves to their family. And that poses a really particular temptation and struggle in the world we live in because the entirety, well, maybe not the entirety, it's one of those preacher's exaggerations, the whole world is constantly telling our young women that they can do better and have more than doing a family. I mean, you could have a fancy career. You could be a millionaire. You could be famous. You could be powerful. You could be rich. You could be, insert whatever it is that sort of draws your fancies. But in order to do so whatever you do, don't get too attached to your family. You know, because your husband will slow you down and your children will need care. But don't worry, from age one month, you can put them in a place where we look after them for you. I mean, this happens, right? People have children and immediately stick them in care centres for 50 hours a week and then go to work. I don't think that's what Paul had in mind when he said, love your children, right? And love your husband. We must seek to grow our affections because life in a sinful world will constantly seek to put things in between us that break affections down that reduce our desire and love for one another. And the devil and the world are very good at this, right? Young women, you go out into the workplace or into the world or into your friend groups, and you're going to hear lots of different things. There's going to be lots of different tantalizing opportunities for you. There's going to be men who are more handsome. There's going to be men who are far more considerate. There's going to be men who, you know, aren't quite so plain as your man. And it's easy for the affections to be drawn away. And it can happen in the most subtle of ways, right? You read a book, and the book paints the picture of the perfect husband. And you subtly think to yourself, my husband's not like that. Or you hear your friend tell you how her husband brought flowers and chocolates home and it wasn't even your birthday. And you're like, Logan never does that. I don't. Logan never does that. And your affections begin to get drawn away, right? And what they desperately need is older women to come alongside them and say, Lassie, it's okay. It's okay. My dear young lady, sit your desire upon your husband. Love him and love your children. They're worth loving. Consider who your husband and your children are. I I know they're not special, but they are sons and daughters of God. Your husband, if he's a believer, has Christ in him, the hope of glory. And he's the one you chose. So love them. Love your husband. Love your children. I mean, what a burden of a command, right? What a burdensome law it is that God would command us to love our husband and our children. What a gift. But notice, secondly, that, that the older women are to train the younger women not just to love their own but to guard their souls, to guard their souls. And so Paul says in verse 4, love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure. Now you will notice that there are couplets the whole way through here, right? They go together. Love, be lovers of husbands and lovers of children, first couplet, then second couplet, to be self-controlled and to be pure. We've run into the self-controlled word with every category so far. It's that word that I've told you about, which is a wisdom-based word. It's not just, you know, like brute strength holding myself back against temptations. It's, it's wisdom embodied that is informed by the Scriptures in order to control ourselves from falling into godlessness. Because all of us are fallen, right? All of us are broken. All of us are sinners. So all of us are tempted. And so all of us... Not just the young men who get slammed by self-control, but all of us are tempted to be led into sin, and so we must guard our souls, lest we give ourselves over to the passions of our flesh. Those passions and those lusts look very differently dependent upon who we are, but it's there. So we are to be controlled by wisdom. But, ladies, we're also to be pure. Pure. It's quite interesting. It's, it's a cultic word. It's, it's very similar. I don't mean cult, but cultic. In other words, like a priestly type word, temple type word. It's similarly related to the one used for older women when they were told to be reverent. And Do you remember I mentioned to you when we talked about the older women that they're to be like a priestess among their family and among the church? It's a similar type word here. It's the idea of chastity and purity and holiness and godliness. They are to be a symbol and stand out in the same way that a priestess would who who was walking down the road. I mean, that's weird for us to think about. But at the time of Paul, that would be normal. You would see priests and priestesses and stuff just walking around the place in their garb, going from temple to temple and doing their services. And they would stick out, right? It's a little bit like in the olden days, ministers used to wear their ministerial gowns everywhere they went and their collars. And when they would walk down the road through Scotland, everyone would look out their window and say, oh, the minister's coming, better put the cup of tea on. It would be a little bit like if you saw the Pope wandering down Manurewa. He would stick out, right? Especially if he was in his little bubble car. But he would stick out. You'd be like, whoa, is that the Pope? Look at his funny hat. You know, and it sounds weird, but our young ladies ought to stick out like that. Not because of a weird attire, but because of the purity of their heart and the expression of that through the way they act. It's an interior and exterior beauty of godliness. And godliness is beautiful, isn't it? When you see or meet a truly godly person who walks in the fear and love of the Lord, you don't notice so much what their face looks like. You notice the holiness of their soul, don't you? It just radiates from them. And that's what we are to foster. So secondly, they are to be guardians of their souls. Thirdly, we're told by the Apostle Paul that they are to be workers in their home. The older women are to train the younger women to be workers in their home. So he says, verse 5, to be self-controlled, pure, and here's the next couplet, working at home and kind. Or doers of good would probably be a preferable way to translate it. Workers at home. Paul says to them that they need to be busy at home. It's actually a really unique word. Paul could have used words that would have made it really easy, but for some reason he didn't. He gave us this obscure word, which is used, I think, once in the entirety of the Bible. And it's because he's trying to take two things and smush them together. We we try using words like homemaker or or house worker, or home builder. We come up with different concepts to try and define it, but the the, the idea is that they're to be busy in their homes. Now, A couple of weeks ago, I was speaking to someone about the fact that I was going to be preaching on this text, and this lady asked me, are you going to tell me I have to quit my job? Well, what does it mean? It clearly doesn't mean Make sure you work 80 hours a week and have a really successful career, does it? Obviously, Paul doesn't mean that. What does he mean? Does he mean that you're not allowed to have a job? That actually, you should just be in your home, and if all the work's done, we'll just sit there and twiddle your thumbs until your children make some more work, which won't take very long. Does it mean you have to stay at home, and therefore, you need to have lots of children, so you've got lots of stuff to do? Let me, let me point you to a couple of passages that, that help shed light on this. Turn to First Timothy with me. First Timothy chapter five. In First Timothy chapter five, Paul is dealing with um, how to deal with widows. So in, in that time there was like official lists for widows that they would go on to be financially supported and cared for. And so one of the big discussions was who should get to go on there: older women, younger women. What if you're a younger? Because of course there was no pensioners' benefit, right? There was no unemployment benefit. If if you didn't have a husband, you didn't eat. It's very hard. Now pick up at verse three of chapter five. Honour widows who are truly widows. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. It's quite a list, isn't it? But refuse to enroll younger widows, notice this, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides, They learn to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, and this is very similar to the intent of what we've just read, manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For already... Some have strayed after Satan. So I wonder if you see the intention there. It's a little bit more context, isn't it? He's like, younger women have a temptation, in Paul's words here, to be idle, to go from house to house, but not just being idle, doing nothing, but gossiping and being busybodies and saying what they shouldn't saying. What's Paul's solution? Verse 14, manage your household. But what does it mean to manage your household then? What does it mean to be busy at home? How does one do that? What does it include and what does it exclude? Well, God's not going to give you a massive exact list. I mean, you might think that would be helpful. You know, if I had just 14 things that I have to do and 13 things that I can't do, life would be very easy, right? But that's the way law-based religion works. Grace-based religion gives you a conscience and a heart. And requires wisdom and biblical application. And so instead, he gives you a whole Bible with which to apply and consider what godliness looks like in your home. But there is, of course, one very helpful passage which I'm sure most of you are familiar with and are expecting me to turn to, which is Proverbs 31. Now, the reason this is such a turn with me, such a helpful passage is the amount of different things that it describes. You see, often our view of men and women gets criticized and is suggested that all we expect women to do is sit within the home and do whatever their husband tells them to do. If you've ever stopped, not just read through Proverbs 31 and said, that's insane, but read through Proverbs 31 and said, what are the types of things listed? What are the sorts of things that the godly wise woman does? It's very helpful. Proverbs 31 from verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. You could say a woman managing her household excellently or a woman being busy at home excellently who can find she is far more precious than jewels? The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm. All the days of her life she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands... And let her works praise her in the gates. Did you notice the sorts of things there? Seeking out flax and making things, going shopping and buying fields. Providing for the home, making garments, caring for others. Providing a home that anyone can come into and be cared for. Living in such a way that when the husband goes to the center of business, Everyone respects him and honors him because of the way she acts. This list is intense. It covers all sorts of things. But here's the primary key. Where is the direction of focus? Yeah. Though she's doing lots of different things, the direction of focus is for the upbuilding of her family, right? for the uplifting and strengthening and supporting of her husband, for the caring of her children, for the supporting of the family, and the list goes on. The primary direction and focus is there, but that doesn't mean it's exclusively there, does it? We can illustrate this the other way. Where is the primary direct focus of a man? work, right? He's got to provide for the family. He's got to protect from outsiders. The primary focus tends to be looking outward, guarding against bad things, providing for the home. If you might talk about it in a a physical direction, his main posture is outside away from the home, but it's not exclusively because he's there to love his wife. And he's there to care for his children. And he's there to provide headship and leadership over the home. But his primary focus is outwards. Whereas the wife's is primarily inward, but it's not exclusively inward because she still has to do outward things to enable her to do her inward things better. Now, in your stage of life, that's going to look very different, right? If you're a single woman without a family... The amount of time you need to spend inwardly focused is a lot smaller than a mum with three brand new young children, right? And this is where sanctified wisdom must be applied. But it's always good for us to ask ourselves, what is the focus of my attention and direction aimed at? So we're called, young ladies, to be busy and older ladies to train them to have their focus and attention directed towards the home again. Turn back with me to Titus. And we pick up with our fourth point, our fourth point. Oh, I I missed over it, but I'll just briefly comment. You'll notice the couplet that he says, working at home kind. That kind word means is literally just good. In other words, everything she does within the home is to be good. And by good it means to the benefit of and exceeding helpfulness to everyone that would come under the influence. Now You think about Proverbs 31, right? That's exactly what's going on. That's what goodness looks like. Everyone around them are built up and benefit. But fourthly, fourth thing that the young woman is to do, and that is in verse 5, submissive to their own husbands that's a word that gets you in all sorts of arguments in the world doesn't it i cannot remember how many times i've been in a workplace where someone has made some comment about the fact that you are the people that think your wives have to submit to their husbands right and had all sorts of interesting discussions about it the te- it's pretty clear you can't avoid it it's in about Five different places Colossians, Corinthians, Ephesians, here, Peter, five different places where wives are told to submit to their husbands. What's Paul's point here, though? Because he doesn't expand on it like he does in other areas. I think Paul's point here is actually the way you do these three things loving, guarding your soul, and working in the home. Is with an attitude of submission towards your husband. In other words, you don't do it autonomously, right? It's always tempting when you get stuck into something to think to yourself, well, I'll just get stuck into it myself and off I go and guns blazing. But you have been given a head, you have been given a leader. You have been given a man to rule over the home. That's the way God has ordered and established things. And so though you are going to find yourself very busy, you are to do everything with reference, you might say, with reference to the man that you have chosen to be your head. I say that very intentionally because what What the world does when it critiques our view of submission is it always fails to recognize that actually, for those of you who aren't married yet, we have the choice of who we will submit to, right? We don't don't have to submit to every husband or every man. In fact, it just says, submit, be submissive to your own man. Not to everyone's man, just to your own man, to your own husband. And so you have the power to pick the man that will lead you and that will love you and that will care for you and that will provide for you. And so just a special word for you young unmarried women or older unmarried women, pick a man who will lead you well. Pick a man that you would love to submit to so that it's a cause for joy for you and not a burden. But we do bring all of our labor under the headship of the one that's above us. It's it's exactly the same as what we do as citizens, right? We're told to obey our government. We all know that. Romans 13... See, it's all over the Bible. We obey the government. We obey the rulers that are put over the top of us. But what sort of obedience is submission? It's always limited, right? We submit unto the Lord in every area of submission. If our husbands call us to sin, we say no. If our husbands say to us, I don't think we should go to church anymore, you say, I'm sorry. But that's a you problem. I've got to go to church. If our husbands command us to do something that would go against our conscience as captivated by the word of God, we must say no. It is limited submission. It is voluntary submission. And it is glorifying to God in the same way that Christ on earth submitted to his heavenly Father. Do you remember the attitude of Jesus? Just willingly submitted to his Father, and we're told in 1 Corinthians that's the pattern. Or in Ephesians, it's the picture of the church in Christ. It's this beautiful portrayal of the image of God, isn't it? It's the beautiful portrayal of the way God has designed things, and it's a beautiful portrayal of the glory of God as he's established it. And my dear brothers and sisters... It is an incredible witness in this world. In a world which has rejected everything godly and God glorifying all of the biblical foundations of marriage and home and everything else. When you commit yourself to order your family life the way God does. You stick out in this world like nothing. I can remember my wife one day going shopping with a group of friends, group of girlfriends, and 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 there was something that she saw that she wanted to buy, but she was just feeling a little bit unsure about it. It was a little bit more than we would normally spend without talking about it, and so she said to her friends, "I I might just put it back and I'll talk to Logan first." And they said to her, "I mean, you could these non-Christian friends like, what do you mean, what do?" You, You're going to go ask your husband? It's just like, what is it, insane? And here she is now presented with an opportunity to talk about the glory of God's design for the home, right? Which brings us to our fifth point, and that is to honor the word of God. We are to train them to be images that give honor to God and his word. Verse 5, that the word of God may not be reviled. Young women, you have the ability to live in such a way that either, on a, either God's word would be shamed, reviled, despised, and or blasphemed. By word of God, it doesn't mean the Bible. Okay, it means the whole message of the gospel. So you have the ability in your life to. Cause the message, the whole message of the gospel that you stand on to be reviled or honored and highly thought of by doing all the things we've just talked about. You know a powerful witness you can be? Just by doing the simple things and doing them well with all of your might. And this is ultimately the goal. For, for all of us, in all of our relationships, in all of the ways we live, right? It's not just, just for young women. In fact, tonight we're going to see that, the, that Titus gets a similar command about not bringing shame upon God. It's just the question is, will we devote ourselves to what God delights in, to the praise of God, and to the honor of God, whether the world thinks we're insane or not? Or will we live in such a way that denies the testimony that we claim? That's what this is about. We have the opportunity to bring honor to God and to the message so that our lives would match up with the gospel that we've believed in, so that our lives would match up with the teaching that is found in the scriptures and so that people would see us and say, there's no hypocrisy here. They practice what they preach. They do what they teach. You know, it's a little bit like Jesus says, right? Let your light shine before men so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father. The simplest of actions by the simplest of people causes the world to see a light and give glory to our Father. And we can all be a part of that, can't we? And may God grant us to do so for His glory and praise. And may He grant us much godliness, Christ-likeness, to live to His praise. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You that You have given us a way of life that is honoring and glorifying to your holy name. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to walk in it. We've looked at different categories. We've looked at the old and the young alike, and men and women alike. And Lord, as we as we look at this passage today, we now we do just pray for our young women. Lord, we know that there are particular temptations against them. And we pray, would you help them to be faithful to you? We pray for our older women, that Lord, they might come alongside the young ones and and look for opportunities to be able to minister to them and encourage them and to build them up in the faith. We pray that your word, week in and week out as we sit under it, might form us and shape us, that by your grace we might say no to godlessness and Walk in godliness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have the opportunity this morning to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Uh, But before we come to the table, let's stand and sing the first three verses of Amidst Us, Our Beloved Stands. Let's stand and sing.